What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we continue our series on fraud. We spent a couple of weeks looking at how we ourselves can be frauds. Sometimes it's related to our identity. And in our first week we saw how finding ourselves in Jesus Christ gives us a grounding unlike anything else. When people challenge who we are, telling us we aren't worthy, we know they aren't looking at us the way that God looks at us. We can even disappoint ourselves, like when we break our New Year's resolutions, but still, God sees us so differently from the world. God isn't worried about all that stuff. God's love for us is consistent, and when we think about our identity, that's a perfect starting point. Then last week, we looked more deeply at this. Uh, Why does God keep loving us? Can we really just do anything, say anything, and God doesn't care? Can we really be frauds when it comes to our faith, but if we just confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, everything will be okay? And we found that's not quite true. Real faith impacts how we live. Real faith leads to action. One great example of this is Martin Luther King Jr. Even though he had people all over the place telling him no, he knew that working towards social justice is God's will. Keep going, keep working, even in the face of opposition. That's what faith looks like. Now we go even deeper. Can we do the right thing, living the right way, and still be frauds? If right actions are what makes us right with God, then we don't need anything else, right? Just do the right thing and you're fine, right? Well, let's put that to the test. Ralph is going to read for us today from the Gospel of Luke. This is the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. Many of you will be familiar with this. Jesus has been betrayed in the middle of the night by his friend and disciple Judas. He was put through a sham trial and still found not guilty. The religious leaders were given the choice to either free Jesus or free a man who had led an insurrection and murdered someone. It wasn't until the people were stirred up so much that there was a near riot that the government leaders finally relented. The insurrectionist was freed and Jesus was sentenced to death. We're going to hear now about the moment just before Jesus' death. This is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verses 32 through 43. Hear now the word of the Lord. But I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail, and you, when you have turned back, can strengthen your brothers. And then Jesus said to him, and then Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this day and three times until you've denied me three times and you know that you know me. And he said to them, When I sent you out without a purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, No, not a thing. He said to them, But now the one who has a purse must take it, and likewise a bag. And the one who has no sword must sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you this, scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was counted among the lawless, and indeed what is written about me is being fulfilled. They said, Lord, look, here are two swords. He replied, it is enough. 
he came out and went, and was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not come into the time of trial. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and prayed. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. And our teaching text for today, one of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then Jesus replied, or then the man replied, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, make us an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Move us toward integrity, sincerity, and love that truly reflects your will in this world. Bless us as we consider your word, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you are like most people, you probably don't spend too much time reflecting on your righteousness before God. Uh, but I bet you wonder sometimes if you are doing the right thing. When you are at a crossroads, it's likely you ask, which way should I go? A few years ago, a young woman living in South Jersey named Caitlin wanted to do some good. She told people about how she had run out of gas on the edge of the highway in Philadelphia. Uh, a homeless veteran named Johnny happened to notice her, and he walked over and gave her his last $20. Remember, this is a homeless man. Uh, with that money, Caitlin was able to make it home safely and started telling everyone about what had happened. Then she started a GoFundMe page. Caitlin said she wanted to give back and help this veteran who had so selflessly given to her. The story took off, especially after it was on the news. A $20 bill given freely turned into $400,000 for Johnny from 14,000 people who had donated. It's a feel-good story, right? Except that Caitlin never gave the money to the homeless man who had helped her. Instead, she took the money and bought a BMW. Then she traveled to Vegas to go to the casinos. When Johnny complained that he never got the money from the GoFundMe page, the law got involved. Caitlin found herself on trial for the largest case of fraud that had ever been committed on the GoFundMe website. Right now, she's serving time in prison and has been ordered to pay back every dollar she took. Clearly, it does not pay to choose the wrong path. But plenty of times, the right path isn't so obvious as maybe we wish it would be, right? Uh, I, I was doing some work helping my son with a broken toy when I realized I didn't have a tool that I needed to fix it. I had a sanding block, but what I really needed was a, a large file for plastic and metal. So I went on Amazon and I, I found a whole kit 
uh, that wasn't too expensive, so I ordered and waited to the next day. When my order came, I opened it, and I found the tiniest set of files you have ever seen. It was actually smaller than the toy that I was trying to fix. It was utterly ridiculous. Sometimes we just can't tell what the results of the choices we make will be. But that's not always our fault, is it? More and more it seems like our society is moving toward fraud being the standard. I think of planned obsolescence, ever bought a TV, a phone, or a computer that seemed perfectly fine one day and then completely useless the next. It's almost as if the company has a little timer inside of these things and when it goes off, the thing just dies on you, right? Uh, Emily, she's been looking for a new sewing machine, and she walked into the store this week and told them, I'm looking for a machine that will last me the rest of my life. And they told her, oh yeah, these less expensive machines that everybody else is buying, they all have plastic parts in them. It's nearly impossible for them to last you more than just a few years. The good ones, the metal ones, are all no less than five times as expensive as the plastic machines. It's hard to tell what's, what's a good choice and what's a bad choice when there are so many factors that go into a decision. Same thing is true when it comes to our spiritual lives. When we want to live the good life with healthy, happy relationships with family and friends, it is not always clear how to do that. Plenty of people say, I want to do the right thing. I want to do God's will. But what the heck does that look like? It could be so hard to tell what really is good in any given situation. And it takes some humility to say uh, something like, I don't know. I'm not sure what the right direction is. It's so much easier to say, I know what's right. I know what's best. And then just blame others for all the things they do that are wrong. In sociology, there's something called symbolic interactionism. Uh, the main point is that when we see people do things, we are quick to evaluate their actions subjectively. It's what I think, how I understand their actions. It's my assumptions about why they are doing what they are doing. The reality, though, can be far different. If you take the time to ask someone why they are doing what they are doing, you're likely to get a far different answer from what maybe you assumed. So when we see people acting in certain ways, doing certain behaviors, we might be judging them, saying, you're wrong, you're not following God, and I know because Christians don't do that thing. We think back to last week's sermon about faith. It's not just what you think in your head or what you believe, it's what you do. So, let's go a little deeper into this. Last week we were reminded by the Apostle Paul that faith makes us righteous. You can't earn it by the actions you do. You just get it. And yet we know that when we are people of faith, our lives change. There are actions that flow out of a life of faith. So where does that leave us? And that's why the passage we read today is so important. It's sort of a strange story dropped in the middle of the brutal crucifixion of Jesus. Here he is being killed instead of a murderer when Jesus' whole ministry has been teaching about loving God and loving people. And here's Jesus on the cross about to give up his spirit to God when two other men are put on the cross on either side of him. The soldiers are mocking Jesus, and the expectation is that Jesus would pray a prayer of vengeance. He is 
unjustly crucified. He is in the right, so he should pray to God to take revenge for him. Yet, despite the Roman soldiers being clearly in the wrong, Jesus prays for God to forgive them. And the criminals on either side of him join in. The first is mocking Jesus along with the soldiers saying, If you are the Messiah, why don't you save us? But the second told him to stop and said, We deserve this, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he ends his brief statement defending Jesus with this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replies, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus says a criminal will be with him in paradise. Why? Maybe there's more to the story here, but as far as we can tell, the reason Jesus is saying this man's home will be in heaven is that, one, he admits to his sin, saying he deserves this punishment, and two, he asks Jesus the Messiah to remember him. That's it. There's no greater action on his part but to say, I am wrong and I want to be with Jesus the Savior. There's not much this criminal has done right, yet Jesus says he'll save him. This can leave us with a lot of questions, and maybe people throughout history, uh, they've struggled with this. How can they understand this? What what does this mean? Uh, He didn't do anything right. How can this man be saved? So let me offer up one way of thinking about how someone we might call a total fraud can get into heaven. John Wesley is the founder of the Methodist Church, and he would agree with most people that faith is necessary for salvation. You have to believe, but faith, he would say, is only the first step toward salvation. The good life, the truly good life, only happens when we recognize that faith leads to a new set of rules. It's no longer about the law, doing everything right just right so that people universally honor and respect you and and that your perfection here on earth, that's not going to happen for any of us. Uh, The new rule, according to Wesley, is the law of love. When you live with love in your heart, you are living in faith. You need time to show that love and you need opportunities to share with others, but faith alone is enough. He would give us an example saying salvation is like a house. To get into the house, you have to go to the porch. That's repentance, like the criminal on the cross next to Jesus saying, we are wrong, but Jesus is right. Then to get into the house, you have to go through the doorway. You have to enter in, and that doorway is faith. You don't get in without going through it, but here's where we Methodists are different. Methodists say, living in the house is our relationship with God. When we are in the home, we aim for holy living. We aim for sanctification. Sure, we can keep growing and do better, but the goal from the start is always to be holy, to have our lives better reflect Jesus here on earth. The problem then is is not that we mess up, that we sin against another person. We try not to, but when it does happen, what do you do then? Do you clam up? Do you reserve your love? Do you start to hate someone who hurt you? That's the problem. Live with love. Be free. Real faith says the action that follows after sin has to flow out of the love 
uh, for God and for God's children. Salvation is going through the doorway, but there is so much more to life. Every day we can move closer to being like Jesus. Jesus didn't blame others. He could have told the criminal on the cross it was his fault that Jesus was being crucified. A previous insurrection had the city on edge and likely forced Pilate's hand, yet still Jesus loved. Today you will be with me in paradise. How can you have that kind of love for others? How can you bless others even in the midst of the pain and heartache they might be causing you? That's what holiness is. Uh, There's a phrase I've always hated even as a kid. I hear people say it sometimes, I love them, but it doesn't mean I have to like them. And I get it. Some people aren't your cup of tea. That's fine. Sometimes you have to have boundaries with people because they just run right over you. Okay, good. But to love someone means you see beyond the immediate circumstances. You can see past the stuff that might bother you about someone to a much bigger thing that God is doing in that person's life. It's loving even when things are bad, even when people treat you poorly. Because that's what holy living looks like. Living like Jesus calls us to uh, to choose to love even when people do the exact opposite of what we want them to do. What might it look like to do that regularly in your life? How might your life change? How might you experience a fuller, holier life if you always choose love? One thing that could help is something called Solomon's Paradox. Uh, King Solomon in the Bible is known as having the wisdom of God in his judgments. At one point, God comes to him in a dream saying, ask me whatever you want. And Solomon says, give me wisdom so I can rule your people well. He doesn't want riches. He doesn't want the, the kingdom. He says, give me wisdom. And God says, you didn't ask for money or for a long life. You asked for wisdom. So because of that, I'll give it to you on top of the other things you didn't even ask for. And he thrived. His judgments over and over are incredibly wise. Uh, but the paradox is, if you look at Solomon's life, he did a, a lot of really stupid things for a wise guy. He was a terrible parent to one son who he let get away with murder. He married Hundreds of women, and I can guarantee he wasn't a proper husband to them because of that. If I can't do it with one, he can't do it with a hundred. I'm sure of that much. Why would he be so wise in ruling his people, but so awful when it comes to his personal affairs? This is the paradox. So wise in one way and clueless in another. But we here today can close the gap. We can do a better job than Solomon of living wholly in our personal lives. We don't have to be great at giving pearls of wisdom to everyone else and absolutely abysmal at following it ourselves. This is what we do. One is confront yourself. Look in the mirror or, or picture yourself sitting in an empty chair and talk to yourself about a situation you're going through. Ask, Why are you doing that? And consider how you could do better and help others more. What advice would you give to yourself if you were someone else and then think it over, reflect on better ways to respond? 
A second thing that helps, and I mentioned this last week, is journaling. Write out the problems you're dealing with. Uh, This is a good one for me because when I journal, it slows me down just enough that I can think more clearly and come to better solutions for the problems that I face. A third thing that might help you is identifying with someone else. Ask a friend about someone they know who is a lot like you. Maybe it's a TV character or a famous person. Learn about them and again, reflect on how you could respond differently to the problems that that person faces. Then consider it for yourself. Don't just keep doing the same things wrong over and over. Find a better way. Each of these is a way to pause and reflect to break us from reactions that we know don't help that we know are the actions of a fraud. Choose a new path, one filled with love for others. Let's end with this. Uh, Tom was serving a 35-year sentence for bombing a Jewish businessman's residence. He was a white supremacist that refused to read or talk about anything that didn't agree with his views. But in prison, Out of sheer boredom, he started reading philosophy, history, and ethics. He realized through it how, before jail, he had already been imprisoned by his radical ideology. Growing up, he had always thought of himself as a Christian. He went to church every Sunday, even as he planned terrorism, believing he was fighting for God and country. But in prison, things were different. Inmates of other races befriended him. A Jewish attorney vouched for him. A chaplain brought him books and recordings so he could read and study. Eventually, he came across Matthew 16, and he was shaken awake by it. It says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? His heart was cracked open through reflection by the love of others and through a few simple words from the Bible. That wasn't the end, though. This was the doorway of faith for him. When he was freed from prison, he served in an Asian church, then became a pastor of a multiracial church. He continued to fight not for his own race, but for reconciliation among all races. Now, you may not have the same kind of deep-seated hate in your heart like Tom, But we all have actions we take that simply don't line up with the holiness of God. We are called to sanctified living, to a life of faith and hope and grace toward all people. Today is the day to live not as a fraud, but open and honest to all God has for you, a life of love for all. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.